0: Well, are you ready for the word of God today? Uh, I'm going to start a a series of teachings that I will, uh, with the opportunities I have this year, will uh, touch on. I'm calling this Life Transformers. And so uh, these are going to be messages and teachings uh, that I would say have transformed my own life. They have had, uh, you know, not that everything you preach and teach, of course, from God's Word has life-transforming power in it, but I want to go over some of the things that I believe have really made a a profound, had a profound effect in my own life, and I believe it has touched many others. So as I go through this, I'm not going to, on any one of these topics, we have many different CDs and teachings and sometimes books available, and I'm not going to try to cover everything A to Z. I'm just going to give you a little bit to think about and there's always more resource material there's a very important before and afters in our life i would say at the age of 12 when i received jesus as my lord and savior was born again that is a huge before and after in my life before that and after that i would say in my own life Doesn't have to be the same way in your life, but uh, when I was received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the age of 15, that was a great before and after in my life. I I certainly became a much bolder individual after I had received uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I I was... uh, you know, much involved in my high school. I was a student council president in my high school. I was, uh, And I used all that to very aggressively propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. I became a different person from being shy and timid. I became very bold and very outspoken. And not much of that has left me since. But that all happened at the age of 15. And and so there's before and afters in our life. One of the great before and afters in my life is uh, when God, by his grace and by his love, revealed to me that I didn't know as much as I thought I did. How may know that's a wonderful revelation when you can admit to yourself, oh, even others may think that you know a lot and others think you're very smart. But then you realize, you know, that uh, what you know is only a smidgen, a fraction of the, uh, of what God wants you to know. And so that's a before and after about uh, is coming up on eight years ago when uh, God began to show me certain things from His Word about His grace versus mixing Performance-based effort, uh, self-effort type of religion with God's unmerited grace, and and that's a huge before and after. So you'll find, for example, that um, I think by now pretty well all of the, the teaching cassettes and all the CDs and all the videos and all the books that I released before that revelation, I've burned them or put them in storage, and we pretty well weeded everything out. And 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 because uh, it was such a profound before and after. It wasn't just the truth that hit and kind of added to everything else. It changed everything else. And so after that, lots of common topic in church, such as uh, prayer or Bible reading, kind of meat and potatoes, kind of teaching, you know, messages that uh, we have, or, 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 you know, healing or, or, or holiness or faith or these kind of topics that are kind of Preached and taught a lot about. Well, I've discovered lots of good things. I, I've, I see it from a different perspective. And today I want to start on one of the first things that hit me very strong. I'm calling today's message Love Makes Everything Work. Now I know that love is a very familiar topic. I mean, it, it seems like you you how can you have a, a revelation of God's love? Doesn't everybody know about that? If you went to Sunday school like I did, you said Jesus loves me this i know cause the bible tells me so little ones to him belongs he is i am weak but he is strong you know i mean of course this is kind of bred into us from the very beginning that god loves us And it's almost taken for granted. It's kind of almost an assumption. Well, everybody knows God loves us. But how many know that uh, when when the light of God shines on something, you have revelation come on topics that you considered very familiar. But the more the light shines, the more you realize you didn't know. And so uh, the the first thing I want to say about God's love is God's love is unconditional. That's uh, that's a transformational truth. You see, I used to preach that. Sometimes I would preach a message that how Jesus showed us God's love and he gave uh, without getting anything in return and how the people mocked him. But you know, something in me would cringe at saying to people, God loves you unconditionally. Now, Now, I often say it like this, God loves you and there is nothing you can do to make him love you more or love you less. I'll leave that up there for just a moment. God loves you. Uh, Say it with me. God loves you. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you more or love you less. Now, this is the kind of statement that might make you cringe inside. Because you may say, well, surely if I pray a lot, wouldn't God love me more? If I go to church, if I start giving more regularly, if I witness more, if I become a better soul winner, if I apply myself, what if I start to enroll in Bible college? What if I do certain things? Wouldn't God love me more if I do those things? Because even the love is such a familiar topic, we've all kind of added little attachment, little rules, little, little things added to it. And and then we could, we could flip that around and, and, and I say that there's nothing you, I say right there, there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. So you might say, well, what if I, what if I stop reading the Bible? What if I don't come to church anymore? What if I, what, what if I, if I go and murder somebody? I mean, let's just go all out and use a drastic example. Well, Wouldn't God love me less? See, it makes people cry. Well, well, what if, what if I, what if I do this? What if I do that? Well, and see, the Bible is very clear. It doesn't mean that, it, that, that what we do is unimportant. I've done a teaching called The Heart Matters where I talk about that whatever you do cannot change God's heart towards you, but whatever we do changes our heart towards God. We cannot alter how God feels about us, but we can alter how we feel about God. So, so we cannot change God's love for us, but we can alter our receptivity to that love. We can determine our response to that love. We can determine how that love affects us. Let let me, let's look at this. First John chapter four, verse eight says, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And uh, this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's a clear definition of what agape divine love is. It is not that we love God. And we have noted many times, and in many of my talks here in our church with our leaders group, I've noted how we kind of emphasize a lot more about our love for God than God's love for us. And, and you know, our musicians here know there have been times when I've kind of been uh, pointing out uh, to people uh, and saying, look, how we are singing all these songs about how much we love God. We love to sing songs about what we do, but here it clearly says, love is not that we love God, but that God loved us. It all starts with God, and then we respond to what God has done for us. Then it says here very clearly that God's love is revealed through what Jesus did at the cross. When Jesus, this is love, that God sent his son uh, to become the propitiation for our sins. So grace or love is not something separate from what Jesus did at the cross. This is very important because everyone more or less, I shouldn't say everyone, but kind of in general, most people believe in God's love or say that they believe in God's love, but the Bible is very clear. God only has one love, and that is the love that was revealed through Jesus. It's the same with God's grace. Grace is not a separate entity from the person of Jesus. You know, there have been Teachings in past uh, throughout the history of, of Christendom where there was a separation between Jesus and grace. It was like grace was something separate that God would release at any time or, or his love would be released at any time, but it wasn't necessarily tied to Jesus. You can see that. I mean, I love the song Amazing Grace, and I sure sing it in the what I think is the right spirit and with the right understanding. But you know that that great song Amazing Grace never mentions God, never mentions Jesus or the cross. Sorry, I, didn't, I knew that wouldn't go over great. I'm just saying, sing the song. It doesn't define at all what that grace is or how it's connected. It's a great song. I'm going to keep singing it. Maybe we'll sing it tonight. I don't know. But I'm saying it doesn't... State or, or reveal that that grace that is spoken of that taught my heart to fear, which it did, and relieved my fears, which it did. It doesn't clearly say, it says, we assume it's from God, something, something from God, but it doesn't clearly tie it to Jesus Christ. And And grace and love is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so this is love. That God gave his only begotten son to be the propitiation for our sins. And what was our condition? Look at this verse here. That's why I call it unconditional. Romans 5.10. We, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. So there was there was no requirement. There was no worthiness. There was no standard for us to rise to. We didn't even have to become seekers. You know, if you're a seeker, you're a little bit better off than an enemy. Can I hear an amen to that? You're kind of looking at it. But it doesn't say while we were still seekers. We were kind of going for it. No, while we were enemies, God loved us. And who did he love? Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation, this grace, this work that Jesus did on the cross, has appeared to all people. No entry examinations. This is freely available grace. You could say that love is the nature and motivation of God. God is love. And because he is love, he acted in a loving way. By a great act of his grace. By putting the world's sins on Jesus Christ irreversibly. Not to be taken back depending on how we respond to it. We are free to respond to it whatever way we want to respond. But his love has been given unconditionally. And whatever our response is or is not, his love stands. Hallelujah. Uh, But our response does matter. Look at this here. First John 3 says... Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So there is a there is a way to respond from our heart, and by this we know that we are of the truth. How do you know you're of the truth? So how how do I really know? Well, here here comes a, 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 a description, because we shall assure our hearts before Him. So someone who is of the truth assures. His or her heart before God. What does that mean? Let's read it and then we look at it. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Could there be things in our life that could cause us to think that God doesn't love us as much as he used to? Could it be things self-inflicted or things that happen in the circumstances? Could there be things going on in our life? Could there be negative happenings that might make us question whether God really loves us or not? You can, you can give me a groan or a yes or something. Could, could, could there be something we do that says, I wonder if God is really for me or maybe I did something wrong. So God's kind of turned against me. He doesn't love me as much anymore. Could, that, that, that could happen in our life. And when that happened, uh, could, could the effect be that we lose our confidence? Have you ever been in a state where you felt like spiritually you were inept, you didn't measure up, you weren't good enough. And consequently you lost your confidence. It may be a very simple thing you may for example be in a a, it could happen in a little group of people get together in a connection group uh, and and someone says oh you over here you lead out in prayer and you say no no i said well you prayed three months ago well because something could have happened i can't pray publicly now it happens look at your neighbor and say it happens So, so uh, when we feel like maybe God doesn't love us as much, then we lose our confidence. So how do we respond to that? Because it says here, God knows all things and he is greater than that. So we may lose our confidence, but God knows all things. So we may totally forgot. We may have forgotten completely what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But how many know that God hasn't forgotten what Jesus did? Just because you forgot, and you say, well, oh, my goodness, I failed here, I failed there. God has not forgotten what Jesus did for you. And so, how do we know that we are of the truth? How do we know that we practice the truth? By assuring our hearts. So you may go to God in prayer like this, and you may say, you know, well, let me take the other side first. Someone may go to God and pray and say, oh God, I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Oh God, what a low life I am. I haven't spent enough time with you. No, that's not what you do. You assure your heart and you say, thank you, heavenly father, that your word is true. I assure my heart that in this is love, not that I love God, but that God loved me and gave his only begotten son to be the propitiation, the forgiveness, the remission of my sins. And I thank you, heavenly father that I can be assured that my sins have been put away once and for all. I'm assured that you love me. You care for me. I'm your child. You assure your heart And when you do that, your confidence is restored in that God loves you and there's nothing you can do to improve or to lessen God's love. And so believing God's love makes it work for us. Notice what I said. This is is a transformational truth. I didn't say getting to the place where you deserve God's love because that would be, that would be quite a trip. (laughs) You'll never get there. Claiming God's love is I'm claiming God's love in my life. No. That's not going to get you there. Or I'm standing in faith for God's love to be revealed in my life. No. No. Or I'm proving myself so that God will see fit to love me. No. Believing that God loves you. Believe, not believing for God's love. Believing in God's love for you. Look at what it says here. 1 John 4. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has, this is quite a mouthful So follow along, it's a power-packed passage of scripture. Love has been perfected among us in this. For that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Now there is a very clear distinction in this passage between knowing and believing. We have known and believed. Now, the Greek word for know there is the word genosko, which means to know intimately and experientially. We have experienced, we have known God's love for us. Have you experienced God's love for you? Did God's love draw you to respond to Jesus to be your savior? Was there a wooing, a calling, a loving beckoning towards you that caused you to respond to Jesus? Have you, after you had that first initial drawing of God's love, have you ever, at any other time in your Christian life, ever known, experienced you felt like God's love was hugging you with a big squeeze? Have you ever had that? Do you have that every day? Okay, good. You're being honest. You know, I can feel this because at a certain time, people say, oh, yeah, every day. Well, no, I don't think people have that every day, so you don't have to answer religiously like because you're. I'm very pleased how you hesitated there. You don't, you don't, I, I feel like this grace message has really hit home. You can be honest. You don't have to be on autopilot and give the right religious answer. But, but let, let me say it again. How many have had experiences, times when you felt like God was really hugging you? So, he loves me. You've had that? But do you have it every morning? You wake up and I'm feeling the heavenly squeeze. No, you, you may have to rub your eyes a little bit. But is it so, so? So, but, but, do you believe that God loves you, even on those pre-caffeine moments in the morning? You believe He loves you. You may not feel it. You have no goosebumps. Could there be circumstances in your life that that kind of makes it feel like God's love is very distant from you? Could we ourselves get distracted in such a way that God's love feels distant from us? Ah, that certainly happened to me. I assume that you're a human being. It may have happened to you. That doesn't, doesn't change God's love. Sometimes when I've taught on this... And I've taught along this topic in many of meetings I've had uh, across the world and across the country. So I kind of maybe haven't talked about it as much here on the home turf. But, you know, I, I relate back in, in when I was in, in a Semarang in 2004. I was feeling very un- Semarang is a city in Indonesia, by the way. I assume everybody knows. But uh, let me say it's the fourth largest city in the country. We had a huge meeting there. And, uh, and you know... Uh, It was a a dream come true. So many Muslims and people, but I was feeling very unloved. Have you ever felt unloved like that? I was feeling all kinds of uh, difficulties and struggles. And then what really ticked me off was that it started to rain. And when we have open air meetings, you know, and it starts to rain, how many know that is not a good thing? The whole huge field turned into a mud field. And I kind of felt that... We had financial difficulties and, you know, but I could kind of rationalize those. I said, well, we probably have financial difficulties because God has been speaking to people to send me money, but they have not been responding. So I kind of I kind of felt that like God is probably speaking to people to send an offering to a very important work. And I'm sure he's moving on their hearts, but they're just kind of checking it out. But then I felt really the rain was really God's department. I felt like, God, couldn't you have at least have stopped the rain? I have enough to worry about without the rain, too. Because I felt like, uh, you know, he was kind of, that was his, his thing, uh, the weather, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and can't you see how important work we're doing here, God? And this whole field is turning into a mud field. And, and I had all those kind of thoughts in me. And so when I got to the platform, I was a little uh, grumpy. You maybe heard the grumpy old man. Well, I was a grumpy young man. And I was thinking, you know, I got all these hassles, all these problems, and this and that, and the other thing going on, and, and the money is tight, and God, look at this. You could have at least have helped me with this. And, and, and I just had stopped raining before the meeting, and it seemed the people were undeterred. And I, I had an encounter of knowing God's love. He says, I'm standing there very grumpy. You know, everybody thinks I'm very holy, of course, because I'm the one preaching. I'm the one everybody's come to hear. And this field is full of people and miracles are happening. So, of course, I know people think that I must be just full of faith and full of anointing. And I'm feeling grumpy. And I'm actually thinking, who even cares that I'm here? What are we doing this for? And the Lord speaks to me. He says, look at the people. And I went over to the side of the platform and I'm looking. And actually, as I was looking, they were just, I I remember them walking in and the mud was splashing a little bit. I could see they were so wet and they were carrying this man on a bed. And uh, I felt the Lord say to me, do you see how much I love that man? And I followed the people who carried him out in the field and they put him down somewhere on the bed. And I was just overwhelmed with God's love and how much he loved the people. And then he said to me, do you know how much I love you? And he, I just hadn't connected those dots. And it just filled my heart with an overwhelming, oh, Ginosko, intimately no, God loves Peter Young. You know what happened? My grumpiness disappeared right there. I said, wow, let's have a great service. I can't explain the rain. I can't explain anything. But God loves me. But uh, I don't have that happen to me every day. See, we know and we believe. Amen. Sometimes, you know, you just get up yourself and say, thank you, God, that you love me so much. You see, God made us to be believers. I mean, have you ever noticed that? How how Jesus, his whole training of the disciples, he was training them to believe in his love. I love the story, and I did a teaching a year or so ago for several Sundays about Simon Peter walking on the water. And one of my, I have a lot of favorite parts in that story. One of my favorite parts is that when Jesus comes, having watched them struggling there, full of love, and having met their needs the day before, and the day before that, and shown his love, and they are still kind of wrestling with it, uh, that when Jesus comes, he comes in the distance. He's standing, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 meters away from the boat. And he's available. And Simon Peter has to see him in the distance and believe. Even his faith wasn't very strong. But he says, maybe it's Jesus. Maybe it's a ghost. See, what we would have wanted to do, we would have said, Jesus, you should just take charge. We would have loved Jesus to just kind of walk, you know, come right up to the boat and step in and says, no worries, boys. I'm here. I'm in charge. I'm taking over now. But you see, there was still that believing. Element, You know, you can see the feeding of the 5,000 people say, well, you know, why did Jesus use a little boy with five loaves and two fish? Well, you know, God could have sent fish raining out of the sky. People say, well, that would have been awesome. I guess if you want just a show, that would have been an awesome show, you know. Here comes peanut butter sandwiches with fish raining out of the sky. Wow, that'd be that'd be something to tell your grandkids about. But notice again how this whole element is Jesus is there. He represents God's love, and there's a participation. There's believing. There's the young boy. There's Andrew. There's the other disciples. You see this, and after his resurrection, Jesus didn't really appear to unbelievers. I mean, he could, he could have really made a grand entrance over at Pilate's house. Waltzing in saying, I was right, I'm the man. Herod, can you imagine what a little revenge Jesus could have got on Herod? But he doesn't, he appears to believers. God wants us to believe. This says the those who are justified by faith shall live by the faith that has justified them you believe in what god has done for you you see that's why it's no yes i was emotional standing on the edge of that platform and god said i love you peter youngren oh i was filled with emotions but even when i don't have those emotions i believe because sometimes emotions can be wrong It seems so real to you. It's like a dream. You know, like uh, Randy telcoma the other morning, he said, Pastor Randy said to me, he said, I had a dream. You were out golfing. I said, you're dreaming. Your dream is not a reality. You see, we all, but but when you're having that dream, it seems real, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like dreaming that my mother is going golfing. That's just as unreal. Uh, You know, I can see her swing her, uh, you know. Number one, would. All right. Okay. Let's go on here. Well, what else did we learn here? Love is characterized by boldness. There's no fear in love. Why? Why? Because we believe that God sees us. This is what God's love makes us believe. That God sees us the same way he sees Jesus Christ. As he is, that's, that's what we read, so are we in this world. And so there's no fear because God sees us like he sees Jesus and he sees us through Jesus. Fear is the anticipation of something negative. I mean, if you believe that when you die, you're going to meet God and boy, you're going to be in a heap of trouble. Well, you sure never want to die, do you? Or if you believe worse, they say, well, I'm looking good now, but I know I'm going to hell for sure. Well obviously you're going to try to stretch your life as long as possible and I believe there's an instinct in all of us to do that so I'm not recommending anything contrary to that but if you're anticipating something negative that is the very essence of fear but there is no fear in love why? Because Jesus has become the propitiation for our sins so whatever judgment whatever negative we deserved and every one of us deserved something negative so there was a justified and anticipation, a fearful anticipation of something negative that was justified. But when the revelation of God's love comes to us, we see that what I deserve, the justified punishment that was coming to me, somebody else took it and he, he became the payment for my sin. So my judgment has already been passed and I have no anticipation. No anticipation of anything negative. But when I stand in eternity, I will stand there as righteous as I stand today because of what Jesus Christ did for me. So it gives you great boldness in love. And then it says we love because we have been loved. You know, Jesus said, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. So you must say, well. I must become a real bad sinner. I maybe should start from scratch and become a real bad sinner so I can be much forgiven. All that just shows the little revelation you have of what sin really is. Because sin has all to do with the heart, the pride, the the alienation, the feeling of independence from God instead of all the other acts, because all those acts may be triggered from those things. But in fact, all of us have equal reason to be thankful and to love because God has forgiven us so much. Whether you were raised one way or another way, whether you were exposed to a certain lifestyle or another lifestyle, it seems so much more holy and spiritual, every one of us. Us, have every opportunity to say, thank you, God, for loving me. You have forgiven me so much. And oh, this is a transformational truth. I thought the more you could bully people, the more you could get them to love God. But we love him because he first loved us. You know, we love him because he first loved us. We do evangelism. Not because we feel guilty or condemned if we don't. But his love constrains us. The love of God constrains us. We love because he first loved us. You know, sometimes we Christians have been involved in bad marketing. Yeah, we figure, I know this this has been true. I think it was true for a while in my life. You know, we'd have special services where we'd uh, try to get unbelievers to come to church. And we could be quite successful at it. And then uh, we tried when we got them, we tried to fire every bullet we had. You got to take the chances you got. And often, sad to say, they weren't bullets of love. They were bullets of condemnation. Tried to threaten them with hell. And if that didn't work, we said, this could be your last chance. And if that didn't work, uh, uh, your, your car could hit you when you go out there. And if that didn't work, we tried. Well, you know, your, your mom and dad have been praying for you. That kind of played on that sentimental side. Or we did something. We did whatever we could. But, you know, love is a great puller of people. Love draws people. I told you about that lady I talked to who's reason recently come to our church. And the first couple of times she comes, she didn't even enter the auditorium. She stood in the back because she'd never raised in Canada, born here, but never had never been in a church. Never, never. No one ever picked her up for Sunday school. And I said to her, well, I said, before you came, did you, did you think of yourself as a sinner? She said, never entered my mind. I said, did you ever meet any Christians? She said, well, once. She said, once I can remember meeting somebody. We were standing on the street in Toronto with some other girls. And and somebody walked up and yelled at us, you're going to hell. You don't know God. And we laughed and said, yeah, we don't know him. What are we supposed to do about it? (laughs) And I'm sure the person who went up and yelled that probably... They've been praying for two hours, believing God, to go out and do some preaching and soul winning and go out there and share their message. And finally, kind of probably sitting in a car, mustering up enough courage, you know, to, to go out and tell those sinners. You're going to hell. You don't know God. And they laughed and said, yeah, we are. star was a nut. Probably a person who'd been praying. Looking for an opportunity. So so that, no, we just laughed at it. So, so what drew you? You didn't feel like you were a sinner? You were just, well, I knew I needed God's love. And when I heard of God's love, it's amazing what love can do for people. Praise God. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. Can somebody say amen to that? See, that's the good news. That's why our message is called Evangelion, good news. uh, Too good to be true news, awesome news. That God loves every one of us. Love pulls people. You know, and it made sense when I talked to her, I thought, well, how does this line up with scripture? Actually, you know, sin consciousness to the law was given to the Jewish people, but not to everybody. People never been to church, never heard anything. They don't have sin consciousness due to rules and regulations because they never heard the rules and regulations. But everybody, whatever you've heard or haven't heard, you say, I need to experience this love that God has for me. Then you get to define that that love is through Jesus Christ. Let me, let me give you some more. How many can handle a little bit more? I heard one yes. I'll take that. Love makes faith work. You know, this is a life-transforming truth to me. All my life, I tried to get, help people to get faith because I figured the more faith I could give them or help them to get more faith, uh, then the, the, the miracles would happen in their life, or healings would happen. And, and then I saw this, and it kind of, I'd known it was there, I'd preached on it, but I, 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 I not, actually didn't preach messages and seriousness a message, but I saw it. For in Christ Jesus, faith working through love. That the first step in even having anything akin to a Bible faith is discovering how much God loves you. In Ephesians, I don't have that scripture verse. It that says that, that we know the width and the height and the length and the depth of the love of Christ. And through that we are filled with the fullness of God. So it's a very key thing to understand how much God loves us. Our faith is a result of discovering god loves me jesus christ is the provision for everything i need our faith is not that we are standing in faith hoping for god to do something but our faith is retrospective looking at that which jesus christ has done and many people i met people all over the world who are very disappointed with their faith and they say my faith is not working And then they proceed to tell me everything they're doing to get it to work. They say, I'm confessing. I'm visualizing. I have socks that says the devil is under my feet. I have scripture verses in the ceiling by his stripes. I was healed. So when I open my eyes, the first thing I see is the word. I have it on my dashboard. I have it everywhere. I'm doing every, I'm taking every prescription that preachers have given to me and told me that if I do this, I will have faith. And all those things, you can do all those things, if, whatever helps you. But I'm saying to you that, that many people are saying, I'm doing this and nothing is changing. What is wrong with my faith? What could be wrong and what often is wrong is that we put the cart before the horse because faith works through love. So we do all the principles and all the techniques. You know, that's why I'm calling this Life Transformers. I taught a course in our Bible school on the principles of faith. I had 21 lessons in my course. Well, you know, when this, that's why I call this a before and after. When this revelation hit me, I had, I couldn't teach that course anymore. I had to go back to scratch and say, yeah, it's true. Confessing the word is true, visualizing the word, memorizing the word. These are all valuable things, but done independently from a revelation of God's love. They just become religious techniques. That's why I say this was a profound before and after. It wasn't just a revelation that came that I added to the others, but I said, you know, I, I got to go back to scratch. I got to look at the meat and potatoes topics that we teach in church and say, are we, are we putting the cart before the horse? So this this way, I say these life transforming messages that I will be teaching, the opportunities I have this year are things that have it caused me to burn my own books. Never mind burning other people's books. I want to burn my own. I went over good. You liked my book that much? You couldn't even give me an amen for that? You you changed some of the things you've done. Some people say, I could never do that. Well, why couldn't you? Are you so proud of your accomplishment and so proud of your thoughts and ideas? You know, the greatest thing to me ever was when I said, oh God, I don't know Jesus as much as I thought. That opened the doors. I could discover he is even more lovely. He is even more wonderful. And the more I see his love, it drives out feelings of unworthiness or of self-accomplishment. You see, because self-focus torpedoes genuine faith. I say it again. Self-focus, whether a focus on how good you are or a focus that depreciates yourself, torpedoes genuine faith. Because genuine faith works by love. I can see I'm not going to get through this message today. Well, I'll try anyhow. How about that? I'll give it a shot. I have one or two more verses. Are you with me? All right, look, look at this. Just go down there in the notes to Psalm uh, 36, I believe it is. It says, how precious, O God, is your loving kindness. Everybody say, how precious is God's loving kindness. And it says, therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. That means their protection they're abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures and then I think there's a couple of other statements you'll see there and then what does it say I'll read it here uh, for with you is the fountain of life in your light we see light all this is speaking of blessing from the inside AC is speaking of light over questions and dilemmas in our life but it all starts with how precious is your loving kindness. Therefore, therefore, in other words, when you see how great God's love is for you, therefore, all these other good things happen. You're satisfied at his river, at his, of his pleasures. You you see light for the dilemmas in your life. It's all contingent on therefore, because I see how much you love me. You know, Jesus is the great example of this. Let me just, I don't have this on a PowerPoint, so let me just uh, give it to you. This was, this was a transforming revelation for me. When you see Jesus' ministry, see, you'll notice that there's not so much talking about that Jesus had faith for people. But there's a lot of talking about that he had love for people. Because faith works by love. See, that's why when Jesus said to the disciples, O oh, ye of little faith. What he was really addressing was their limited revelation of his love. Because if you know how much he loves you, your faith will grow. But if you think, oh, he doesn't really love me very much then you think, oh, God, just help me survive. Just barely get by. But if you know my father loves me. And you're resting in that love. You believe him for healing and salvation and blessing and opportunities and doors open. And people would think you've almost lost your mind because you seem so positive and optimistic. But if you think that he loves you just a little bit, you're just going to go for a little bit. Look look at these examples. But the widow in Nain, Nain was a city and there was a widow who had lost her son. And so Jesus saw the funeral procession. And this is what the Bible says. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Why did Jesus do miracles? He says when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion and healed those who were sick. Notice. He doesn't say when he saw the funeral procession, he had faith for the raising of the boy. Oh, when Jesus saw the sick, he had faith for the healing. No, it says he was moved with compassion. Let me give you a story of the two blind men. They were crying out, Lord, have mercy on me. And, and uh, Jesus said, what do you want? Lord, that our eyes be open. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. I'm not saying that, of course, Jesus is the author and finisher of faith. He's operating in faith. But what the Bible mentions here is that he had love. Let me give you another one here. Just, I think this is on PowerPoint. The last verse I'll show you today. A leper came saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing to be cleansed. You know, we've made great arguments from this verse, which I think are justified arguments that God is willing to heal, that the only time Jesus was ever questioned if he was willing to heal, he said, I am willing. And we, we, we kind of put the emphasis on the I am willing, which is a great and awesome truth that God is willing. There's not one instance where Jesus wasn't willing to heal a sick person. But, you know, I think we sometimes overlook it says Jesus moved with compassion, touched him and said, I'm willing. See, it's a lot easier for people when you take it away from a theological discussion whether God is willing to heal and why did this happen to this one and I don't know what happened to this and why did this one die and you have all kinds of arguments and well, the Bible says this and the Bible says that but in a revelation of God loves me, it's easy to see that he's willing. In all these and and in many other cases, I just gave you some samples, it, it never says that Jesus had faith for that person's healing. See, we would say that about ourselves. We would say, well, you know, I saw so-and-so and I just had faith to pray for them. This is our vernacular. That's how we would describe it. I had faith for that. Well, you know, I just pray that God give me faith for that because we, we put everything on the faith and faith is very important. I'll be doing teachings on faith. I don't, don't think I've forgotten what faith is all about. But faith works by love. And the Bible doesn't highlight that Jesus had faith, although it could have said that. It highlights that he had compassion. Because faith works by love, And I found this. I find time to tell stories, which I don't want to get started to tell too many stories. Uh, because then my services become very long. Some of the greatest miracles. I was looking before even this revelation of God's grace came to my life. I looked back and said, what was the common denominator? And some of the most outstanding healings I've ever seen in my whole life. And I've seen many outstanding healings. And I had to determine to myself and see that, you know, it seems that my life and my heart was overcome with God's love. And when God's love overcomes you, you're not even thinking, do I have enough faith? do I How's my faith? Uh, what if my faith is up to this? Because you stepped into another zone of this. Now, you know, when this revelation came, you had to teach this and, and, uh, and share this and it's kind of funny how people will be very happy what they hear you say and others will try to criticize it. How many know that's always true? <laughs> you know, so I, I'm kind of used to that and kind of, it's actually not so bad. And, and so uh, I was teaching, not this message, but maybe come, a couple of these things I shared I taught there. And this happened a few, five, six years ago is now. And I think I told it when it happened here in our church. But uh, I was in a church uh, in, in Arizona. And... Uh, you know, it was a bunch of churches coming together. And and I think the story of this lady is in our magazine. So you've read it there. A woman called Sharon was in the service in the back because I didn't know that it was kind of full. It was not a big building, but it was full. And uh, they tapped me on the shoulder during the shaking of hands time in the service, which, you know, our charismatic services, we always shake hands because we're a friendly church. You know what I mean? Everybody does it. So we have our protocol. Others do other things, but we, we shake hands. You probably, how many of you noticed that's part of our program? We shake hands. It's, it's scheduled. It's scheduled in. About 10, 29. We shake hands. Uh, <laughs> it's good. You know, you've got to plan these things. And so also this church had a scheduled shaking of hands, and it's good. And when they shake hands, uh, a lady approached me. She said, are you the guest speaker? You know, with kind of a praying tone of voice. Are you the guest speaker? I said, yes, that would be me. Oh, she said. I brought my blind friend I said well, can you come and say hi to her I said where is she? back row and I said okay okay I wasn't planning to go and shake hands in the back row but 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 I could feel huge pressure because I was in the church of a friend of mine and I could just, I just imagine in my mind I was rehearsing how the announcement would have sounded the previous Sunday I'm sure the pastor would have said now on Friday night, you know, Pastor Peter Youngren is coming here. And, you know, we've seen his video. God uses him mightily in miracles. So this would be a good chance to bring all your sick friends. How many know that brings pressure on me? And so here she is now, not knowing what I look like, but she's heard that I have some kind of power, which I don't have. But anyhow, that's what she thinks. And she wants me to shake hand with her blind friend. That might have some positive effect. At least I'll be aware that there's a blind person in the back. So I'll go back to thinking about this. And there's a lady sitting there in a nice white suit, white cane. And she doesn't see me. So I tap her on the shoulder. And she says, my name is Sharon. I said, I understand. I can see that you're blind. You know, I could see that she was blind. I didn't know to ask her. And uh, yeah, so nice to have you here. And yeah, that was it. The clapping of hand time, part of the service was, I mean, the shaking of hand time was over. And I went back to the front and soon I was up to preaching. When I got up to preach, I, I began to speak. I felt kind of a boldness. To speak like I might normally not speak in a church service. I try to behave myself rather well. But, you know, when we have uh, festivals and in stadiums where I kind of feel like my partners and I pay the whole rent, I kind of do whatever I want, you know, because I'm kind of with Muslims and Buddhists. They don't have any kind of rules anyhow. So I so I got up and I said, you know, I said to the people, I thought, we, let's go for it. I said, you know, I met a blind woman here. And I have a feeling, her name is Sharon. I said, I think she wants to be healed tonight. I could see Sharon going, yeah, yeah. And her friend, like this. And I said, I don't think, uh, I don't think Sharon's faith is good enough. I said, oh, that went over good. <laughs> it's about the same. I think you were, were you there that service? Val toluk was there that service. And Bert was there. Roxanne was there. And I said, well, I said, because if her faith was good enough, Jesus said, if your faith is a grain of mustard seed, you can speak to the mountain and it will move. So obviously her mountain hasn't moved. So her faith isn't good enough. So the people were ready to throw rotten eggs at me because I think what a mean preacher Here's a poor blind woman in the back and he's embarrassing her publicly but uh, how many know sometimes God can have you do things you didn't plan to do so then I went on I said you know and furthermore I says my faith isn't very good either it's kind of useless because I went down and shook hands with her so if I had had it if I had some great faith I wouldn't have stopped the shaking of hands I would have healed her right in the back row so I'm just as useless as she is I said, (laughs) makes two of us and then I said I think there's a whole bunch of other preachers here maybe you've been to their church and Maybe they tried, and obviously they all is useless as well. So I said, it's, it's kind of good to, to call a spade a spade. Are you all still here? So I said, well, let's see what Jesus can do. And then I preached a little bit on this, of his love and how faith works by love. I don't know exactly how I put it in that service, but I preached on that. And then I prayed. And uh, whatever boldness was on me when I spoke like this, And it kind of, I don't know, I started to pray, and then I, you know, there's always that moment I said, well, how many have been healed here? And it's kind of like, you think, well, let's see if it worked, you know. And and I think my faith was wavering a little bit, because I was probably looking at myself and the size of the crowd and all kinds of things. And uh, I said, well, lift your hand. And there was quite a number of people that had been healed of various things. And as I'm standing on the edge of the platform... Uh, I see Sharon in the back, because she was so distinctly dressed. She lifts her hand up. But you know what I thought when she raised her hand? Oh, she probably misunderstood me. She probably wants more prayer, because that's kind of the charismatic thing, is more prayer, more prayer. I thought, sure, she's blind as blind can be. Surely she wouldn't have just... In, not in Arizona. This happens in Africa and Indonesia, but not. Uh, and, and so finally, Roxanne had to alert me. She had said, "Peter, look. She's healed. She can see." So she came up and told the story and. I, and it wasn't because she had been healed. Of, also, she had a deaf ear. I didn't even know that it opened up. And there was some other great disease. I, I can't even describe it all. But to make a long story short, the, you know what she did? The lady who drove her, this is late at night now. The lady who drove her to the service, she told her, move over. I'm driving the car home. So she drove. The bike, and drove and then there's two. And there's reason why I'm telling this story. Because I was teaching along this line of faith, work, and beloved. And then, then we got up to the pastor's office. You know, you have always some people from all kinds of backgrounds there. And so we're, they're like, What did you do? It's like, Did you pray to the Father in the name of Jesus or just call on Jesus? Did you rebuke it? Did you speak to them? And they always, you know, because it's, it's got to be some kind of, this should happen so fast. Take us through it slowly. What did you do? See, this is how religion always thinks. What did you do? What's the key? And, uh, you know, but they were thrilled. There were about eight preachers there. They were all thrilled. But then later on, and of course I told them we have a keyless religion. I said, <laughs> you know, we have one key, Jesus. But anyhow, then the funny thing was this. After that, there was one guy who criticized me. And he, he rose up and says, oh, Peter Youngren, because I preached this message in love, does not believe in the believer's authority. He made quite a stir over that. and told me oh Peter Younger doesn't believe in the authority of the believer well you know I kind of laughed and said how could this person being there seeing this think that I didn't believe in the authority of the believer in fact without knowing how much God loves you you will never operate in any fullness of the authority of the believer because the authority of the believer is based and founded on the great love that God has shown us through Jesus Christ. And because of that love, we recognize, oh, look what Jesus has done. Well, that gives me the authority to speak to the mountain. It's not a self-generated authority. It's not something that I kind of just pull on and work it up till it feels like I'm shaking a bit and then I go for it. No, it comes by his love being revealed. Praise God. Well, I'm closing my Bible, which is a sign. I don't know what's a sign of, but it's a sign of something. You discern it yourself. Do you know God really loves you? He loves you. And you know love attracts people. And then, and I don't know if I told this in this church, because sometimes I tell stories from this church when I'm preaching elsewhere. So I'm going to tell it here now. In the process of discovering that I didn't know as much about God's love as I thought I knew, The lord reminded me of a service held in this church many years ago some of you weren't even born but most of you were but you maybe weren't here and 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 there was a guest preacher I forget who it was i honestly forget who it was it was not one who was here very often but this guy was really condemning everybody in our church and he i think that was his style it wasn't just for our church and he was preaching like this he was saying well He was kind of threatening people here. And everybody felt it. And he was coming in for a good altar call. So he said, how many of you here? He said, if God, I mean mean right here, he said it. If God was to write all your sins on a piece of paper and put it up right here, how would you feel? See, if you think God is angry, you've got to look angry yourself too. And he's going on. How would you like it, people? Be honest before a holy God. How would you like it? How would you like it? He's lining up. I can see the whole church is going to run to the front by the time this is finished. How would you like it? If every sin, every thought, every secret thing, every thought you have had would be written on a piece of paper and put up for everybody to see. And I remember, I'm sitting in that, my chair. Where I sit when others are preaching, and I'm kind of ducking myself as I and I'm looking at the second row, I forget who was in the second row, and I'm kind of glancing and they're kind of going down as well. And I could see to the third row, they're going down in the third row, because the bullets are just flying over people's heads, right in this building. Because we had such great faith in condemnation. If you could just threaten people and bully them to the front to the altar call, that'd change everything. Yeah. I remember glancing. Whoosh. yeah some of you were in that service <laughs> but you've forgotten this healing of memories we believe in that <laughs> we to <ministered> that to <laughs> it just went over our head so you know funny the Lord brought that to my remembrance and I remembered kind of glancing back looking over my shoulder so it would have been yeah over where you ladies are sitting right there <laughs> you know, they were They were deep in prayer, as he was saying (laughs) this, you know. Uh, But, uh, and then, you know, I felt like, how would that feel if God would put all your sins and put them up right here? And I, I saw it. That would be beautiful. Because that huge sheet would be completely empty. Because in this is love that Jesus became the propitiation for our sins and remitted them. And then God's idea is that when you look at that empty sheet in wonderment and you say, well, I did this and that and I thought this and I had this thing in my heart and I did this. You'd say, oh, I don't know. This list should be full. Why isn't it full? Because God loved you through Jesus. Then God's plan is that when you discover that, when I discover that, oh, how much he has forgiven me. Then you and I would respond and say, if that's God, every other thing I've heard of God is a caricature. But if that's God, and this is love that he gave Jesus to be the propitiation of my sin then that's the God I would like to surrender my life to. I could trust serving a God like that. And love and goodness bring people to repentance. Peter Youngren and World Impact Ministries operate a helpline at 1-800-275-2713 where you can call for prayer ministry from our prayer center or for more information about World Impact Ministries. You can also visit us at www.peteryoungren.org or www.mycelebrationministries.com or contact us by mail at World Impact Ministries in the U.S., P.O. Box 490, Niagara Falls, New York, 14304 or in Canada at P.O. Box 968, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 6Z4.